Okatov, happy Shushan Purim Katan. Have a cup of coffee. Enjoy Shushan Purim Katan. If you want some scotch, you can have an Irish coffee and really enjoy Shushan Purim Katan. Okay, this morning we are continuing our study of Emuna and um, our reminder of the importance of mindfulness in this area. I think when we miss a class, I know that I miss the reinforcement of the mindfulness. So we're looking at a piece in Revolbe. This is from Ali Shore. All right, every week we've been doing different things. We've fluctuated between the Slana Marebi and Ali Shore and uh, other miscellaneous uh, things, the Chaban. So we're back in Ali Shore. Rav Shlomo Volbe was the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. And here in the 20th chapter of his book, Ali Shore, which was a collection of the Musarvad, and he used to gather students and they would be working on different attributes and working on different character traits and working on different aspects of their lives. And then it was uh, collected in Ali Shore. So he says the following. There's more to talk about in the effort, the avoda. Now this is the key word there, is avoda. It takes work. It takes work to have amuna. The best things in life take work. You know, we live in a world nobody wants to do work anymore about anything. Everyone just wants everything coming to them and pleasure delivered to them. And they want their marriage to be perfect, this to be perfect, their job to be perfect without having to exert too much work. But it takes work. I actually posted yesterday, somebody sent me an article from the Washington Times that showed the cereal industry is down 30%. And the reason is millennials. Mm -hmm. Millennials don't eat cereal. And when polled why millennials don't eat cereal, it's because they like cereal. They like milk. But if you eat cereal and milk in a bowl, somebody has to wash the bowl. And because they don't want to have to make the effort of washing the bowl, they don't eat cereal. So the cereal industry is down 30%. Right? They want something they can eat and throw out the wrapper. So, so it takes, uh, it takes avoda. So the key word here, avoda, all we've read so far is five words. But there's more to talk about in avoda sa'amuna. Right? If you're not willing to wash out your cereal bowl, then how much effort are you going to put into your marriage? If you're not willing to work at, wash out your cereal bowl, then what's your work ethic going to look like at work? If you're not willing to wash out your cereal bowl, then how much avoda are you going to put into emuna? How much work are you going to do to live a life of faith? He warns us, Ravobi, that the topic of this chapter is not something which is going to t- pull on the heartstrings. These are difficult, these are uh, complicated, difficult topics. Nevertheless, we must, we are obligated to reveal to the listening ear the truth um, in the depth of these issues which are part of the very fabric, part of the very makeup of a person. Right? That's a pretty stern warning. Okay, so here it is. Kosov. The Pasuk says, we say this every day in Az Yashir. It's from Parshas B'Shalach. The Jewish people saw God's strong, great hand. Excuse me, what he had done in Egypt. And they had Yira. What does Yira mean? So, trans, classically translated as fear. They had fear of Hashem. I prefer the translation of awe. They were filled with awe of the Almighty. So, first, first they were filled with awe. Then then they had faith in God and in Moshe, his servant. Which is its own perplexing question. What do you mean? The Pasuk seems to equate Vayamina Bashem uva Moshe. They had faith in Hashem and Moshe. And there's a big discussion among Rishonim, the Mepharshim, what that means. But for our purposes, it says Revol, Bihashe'elam Mepharsemis is a famous question. Lama ha-Torah magdima kan es ha-Yira 
Why does the Torah place awe or fear before faith? Really, logically, it should be the opposite. You first have to believe in someone, and then you can have awe of someone. But if you don't have awe of them, how could you... I mean, if you don't believe in them, so it's the wrong order. The Pasuk shouldn't say, It should say, Right? First you believe someone exists, and then you have your reaction to them. You don't have your reaction to them, and only later do you believe they exist. Ever you got to follow the question? Are you bothered by the question? Do you have an answer to the question? I mean, I could understand if you, if you fear, then you believe. If you change the... Well, that's what he's saying. It says fear, then believe, but right. it should be the opposite. Right. First you should believe, yeah. and then you fear. You have to acknowledge someone exists, and then you can react to them with awe. But if you're not even sure they exist, you're not going to have awe of them. So the, more the, the, no, the first level, the more basic level, is belief, is faith. Then you intensify that with a sense of awe or fear. It seems out of order. But in the case of Hashem, he's not apparent. You can't see him. He's not concrete. He's abstract. So if you, I, I like to translate it as awe also, because if you look at everything, you see everything in the world and all the miracles that happen, then you're in awe of him and you're so thankful that you have faith in him. Oh, okay. In other words, first you react to what you see in the world... And then you say, oh, there is a God. Right. Okay, good. So let's see what he says. Hagon ha'admon be'ozrov, b'sifra anifla eish das. The great chassid the Shereb from Ozrov in his book Eish Das. Omid al-she'ila, he asked this question, umadzbi al-divri ha-zohar kodesh. And to answer it, he points us in the direction of the Zohar in Bereshit's Daphne test. We're not going to read it, it's in Aramaic. But let's continue with Revolba where he translates it. Hare davka, odom ha-yare yasekosh baruch u-shora imo ha-emuna karoi. He says it's not a coincidence, and it's not out of order at all. It's only a person who has awe of God, who can dwell with God with a true, authentic sense of emunah. And only this person is really complete, is whole, is full in their service of Hashem. It's not out of order. In other words, you're right. A basic acknowledgement that God exists... That you need to have before you have Yira. But that's not what Amuna is. Amuna is much more than a basic acknowledgement or concession that there is a God. It's really the faith, it's the belief, it's living a life with Hashem in your life. That Hashem is involved, Hashem's guiding hand, Hashem's divine providence, Hashem's love. That Hashem is responsible for everything that happens to us in life. So to see Hashem actively to be mindful of Hashem consistently, to feel Hashem's presence in our life, which is the real emuna. that's only after Yira. First you have to have the humility to realize, wow, oh, there's a God, He created the universe, it's a magnificent world, complex and detailed, and sophisticated, there's an unbelievable world and it has a creator who guides that world. Wow, I guess if He guides that world, He's also involved in, in my life. So you're right. The basic emuna that comes before Yira. But the real profound emuna of consistently feeling Hashem's presence in your life, seeing Him in your life, that only comes after you have the capacity for a sense of Yira. I gave a drush a couple years ago. I don't remember it. It was about awe. Scientists had done some research that talked about the capacity for awe, the importance of the capacity for awe. And I said, and I still believe, that we, we are to a certain degree, losing the capacity. There's nothing that wows us anymore. 
Nothing gives us goosebumps. Everything's awesome. So if well, you call every little thing awesome, then God can't be. So on the one hand, we've diluted the word, use of the word. The word awe means awesome and awe means nothing anymore because everything's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, you got Dunkin' Donuts coffee? That's awesome. It's not awesome. You just want to Dunkin' Donuts. Everything's awesome. My aunt sings it all day long. Yeah? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I'm not going to sing it, but the Lego movie, it's a song, everything is awesome. There you go. So if everything's awesome, then nothing's awesome. But think about that. It's really cute. If everything is awesome, if everything's awesome, then nothing's awesome. Because all by definition is not everything. It's it's particular. So I think we, we are to a certain degree losing our capacity for awe. And it's a byproduct of a wonderful thing, which is the unbelievable progress and advancement that we live with. So in other words, when the world changed super slowly and there was a major breakthrough, you're like, wow, we went from not having a car to having a car. Like I used to have to ride a horse to California, now I could drive a car to an airplane. Those are like major transformational, it's unbelievable. Now, the things that we couldn't even imagine 10 years ago, it's like, oh, did you hear that came out? Oh, okay, cool. And everything is obsolete in a month. Right, everything's obsolete in a month. We're progressing so fast. Things we never, like, do you remember when GPSs first came out? Remember when mm-hmm. cell phones first came out? You know, mm-hmm. people had a cell phone, that huge block, and they'd plug into their car, they walked around with a suitcase. Uh, in Epcot, the, that ball, you would see, like, FaceTime, you know? Like, gosh, you could talk to someone on the screen. Right, video conferencing. That was like FaceTime, big right. deal, you know? So the point is that the things that used to make us filled with awe don't. So, And that's true in almost every area and, of life now, is just that we, we're, like, nonchalant, we're casual, we're callous. Things don't, we're not filled with awe anymore. And that's a very dangerous thing. And this drush, I spoke about the importance of the capacity for awe. Because what ends up happening when you don't feel awe, you're arrogant. You feel like nothing impresses, eh, nothing, eh. Even that language, we didn't use that word when I was a kid. That's like a new word, eh. Eh, eh, that doesn't impress me. How was the speak? Eh. How was the rabbi's drusha? Eh. How, oh, did you see the new movie? You go to the program, did, how was Disney? Eh. It's like, as this word, it basically says, I have no awe. Nothing impresses me. Eh. Nothing impresses me. So it takes, to feel a sense of awe, it takes unbelievable humility. It requires you to say, wow, I'm small, and that's great. That's amazing. That impresses me. That gives me goosebumps. I'm blown away by that. But we live in the information age, and we live in the technology age, and we live in the age where nothing impresses me. Everything's, eh. I've been in a company of people who were impressed with things that happened. But they don't see it as the hand of God. They say, oh, what a coincidence. Right. So that's the next level, is to feel a sense of awe and then to realize that which I have awe of is the Almighty. Wow, somebody coordinating, somebody creating, somebody who built this universe, manages this universe, is involved. So that sense of awe, of Yira, which is different than fear, I'm not sure how Revolbi intends it, but I believe it's a much healthier view of Yira, a less paralyzing, debilitating view, is to see it as awe. It's a healthy view rather than uh, a scary view. So he says, Only a person who has awe and says, Wow, this is an unbelievable world. This is an incredible universe. Only he or she, Only that person can turn to the subject of their awe and say, Wow, you're involved in my life. I'm only here because of the, your good graces. So he says, let me explain, let me expand on this as Revolvi. The Rambam brings in his book of mitzvahs, three components of the mitzvah of Emuna. This is the Rambam and Sefer mitzvahs. And here they are. Mitzvah Aleph. The first, Shehu Namin Allah 
The first component of emuna, the first part of that mitzvah, the first mitzvah of emuna, is to know there's a God. I am the Lord your God. Is to know that we didn't come out of coincidence. We don't exist by chance. We don't exist because of a big bang. Maybe it is a big bang, but God made the big bang. We exist because there is a first cause, right? Other philosophers called, called that the first cause argument. St. Thomas Aquinas and others. Yes, for the Rambam, these are part of the... Absolutely, the Sefer HaMitzvah. So these are three mitzvahs that all deal with Amuna. The first is to believe that God is the first cause. That if I trace the universe back to its origin, I get to God. Mitzvah Beis, who atzivu and the second mitzvah, the second component of Emunah, is to believe that the first cause of the universe and the continued source of the universe is one, and that is God. So it's not that God set the world in motion, but now there's another deity called nature. It's not that God created the world and moved on to another project, and now there's something else responsible for the way the world works. But the statement of unity of God's existence that we say every day, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, Hashem Echad means that all, everything that exists, all traces back to Hashem. He is both the first cause, He's the source of the universe, and He's the continued cause of the universe. That's the second component. And Mitzvah Gimel, the third component is, Shitzivanu la'amin yirasa yizbarach ulafached mimenu. Says the Rambam, the third component is, the reaction or the response or is driven by the first two components. If you really believe that God created the world, and you really believe that God runs the world, then you will arrive at the third mitzvah, which is the conclusion that, wow, I have to feel, be filled with awe. And here he throws in fear, which is important also. I mean, think about it with our children. We want our children to respect us. We want our children to have awe of us. And sometimes we need our children to fear us. We want them to respect us and honor us. We want them to want to emulate our ways and be inspired by us and ultimately have respect for us. We would hope we are living a life that fills them with awe, that they are awed by, by who we are and the contributions we make and the role we have in their life. And there needs to be a little bit of a dose of fear, a little fear that we can, we can create the consequences in their life, that it's important for them to listen to us because we are in a position of authority over them. So that's the third component of the mitzvah. If God created the world and he runs the world, then I say, wow, I'm filled with awe. That's, unbe- that's awesome. That's unbelievable. And we can't be like those heretics who go through life um, thinking it's all chance. Right? Soon we're going to, we're less than a month now away, exactly one month from yesterday's Purim. And right preceding Purim, we have Pasha Zachar, and we remember about Amalek, when Amalek attacked us, what was their strategy, their methodology? What was Amalek trying to do to us? Amalek was asher karcha baderech. Kufrish, asher karcha baderech. What does karcha baderech mean? Rashi there quotes three different possibilities. One is milashon um, kor. They splashed cold water on us. We were on fire. We just came from our Sinai. We just walked out of the Amuna Shir. We just walked out of a great Musa Shmuz. We just walked out of an unbelievable Shir. And we were on fire. We were ready to change the world and change our lives and conquer the world. And they splashed cold water on us. Kar Chabaderech Milashon Kor. You know, someone splashes cold water on you. Like, I was so inspired. I was so gung-ho. I was so excited about that thing. Did you have to tell me that? 
Did you have to bring me down? Did you have to splash cold water on me? That was a malik. But the other shot that Rashi brings is Asher Karcha. Karcha is Milashon Mikra. Mikra means chance. Chance, happenstance, coincidence. Which is, by the way, another way that people splash cold water is, I'm on fire with Amuna. And that person comes, they say, Amuna, God. It's chance. It's nature. It's a statistic. It's data. What are you talking about? That's how they splash cold water on you, is by saying, this is not providential, this is not, this is not God. This is, uh, it's chance. It's a coincidence. So says the Rambam, that the mitzvah to remember a Amalek and to wipe out a Amalek is to, is to um, never subscribe to a life of carry. A life of carry is a life of chance and happenstance. A Amalek's attempted influence on us is to say, abandon God. Walk away from this belief that there's a higher being. It's all just chance. There's something called nature. There's a natural order. Everything that happens is just chance. It's all just coincidence. And we say, no, it's not coincidence at all. The Rambam actually writes in the laws of Tainus, the laws of fasting, that the purpose of a fast day is to withdraw from this world, to be more spiritual, and to remember that the world is not chance and coincidence, to triumph over the attitude, the philosophy of Kerry. So, for the Rambam, there's three components to the mitzvah of Amunah. Number one, believe God exists. Number two, believe in divine providence, that He not only created the world, but He continues to interact with the world. And number three, as a result of the first two beliefs, have awe of Him and fear Him. Understand His consequences. In other words, your boss at work, your boss at work you hopefully have respect for, your boss at work, you hopefully have awe of, wow, they're so impressive with what they've done. But you also have a little bit of a dose of fear that if you don't produce, that if you don't come through, that if you don't fulfill your role, they're going to fire you. And he has that strength, he has that capacity to fire you. The Rebona Shalom has the ability to fire us. It's called not waking up in the morning. He fires us. We're done. Either we've completed our mission in the world or we're undeserving of continuing. So those are the three components. But what do you see from here, says Revolbi? The Rambam counts as Yizbarach. When the Rambam in that third component included in Emuna, subsumed under the obligation to have faith in God, is a component of Yira. You see from the Rambam as well that our fear of Hashem is part of or a prerequisite to Faith in Hashem. By the way, I understand it too from this perspective. The moment I think that I'm equal to God, there's God, there's me, we both have opinions, we both create things, we both do things. The moment I'm equal to God, I don't really have faith in Him. Faith in Him means I understand that I'm categorically different than Him. He's infinite, I'm finite. He's omnipotent, I'm limited. He has no beginning and no end, I'm fragile, I'm mortal. So, emuna is predicated on understanding that I am categoric, God is categorically different than anyone and anything that exists. God is alone, He is unique. So, if you lack the yira, you don't really have emuna. If you don't have awe of God, you don't understand how He's categorically different. You're not filled with the awesomeness of the concept. I, I remember as a kid, this is going to sound crazy, I remember as a kid trying to think about like, what it meant that God was here before the world. Okay, I have parents. They have parents. They had parents. They had parents. We go all the way back. Okay. Before them was God. What was before God? Nothing. God always was. I remember I would get migraine headaches. Mm -hmm. Like as a kid, I would try to think about that. 
I get migraine headaches. I just have to like train up to stop thinking about that. We can't grasp that. We can't understand that. Because we're not God, we can't. But that's awesomeness. And you could say the opposite direction too. Everything will cease to exist. He'll still be here. Like, what does it mean to be here with nothing else? We can't relate to that. We can't identify with that. We don't understand what that means. But that's the awesomeness. So the moment I think, yeah, there's God, there's me, we're equal partners, you know, we run the world together, we both have opinions, we both do things, we're both responsible for success. So that's not real Amuna. Amuna is predicated on understanding that God is categorically different than I am. He's unrelatable. I can't relate to anything about God. In fact, the Rambam writes, that's why we always talk about God not in positive terms, because we can't relate to God, but in negative terms. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by this. He's not bound by that. What we're saying is, here's everything I know, and he's not any of that. What is he? I can't relate to that. Try describing what coffee tastes like to somebody who never had coffee. Try describing to somebody who's colorblind what the colors blue and pink and red look like. If you can't relate to something, you can't explain it. We can't understand what God looks like because it's unrelatable. So we, the Rambam says we only describe him in the negative. Yesterday in the class, you talked about the attributes of God, though. The positive attributes. Correct. So we, but they're anthropomorphisms. Meaning, we attribute human character traits to God so that we can try to relate to Him. So when it says, in this week's parsha, after Chet Egel, that God got angry. God doesn't get angry. There are no emotions for God. Why do we say He got angry? He behaved in a way that we would relate to as anger. But He doesn't get angry. God needed. God doesn't need. He's infinite. God this, that, or the other thing. So when we talk about anthropomorphisms, we are projecting human character traits onto God as a means to identify with Him. But He is not any of those things. So what he's getting at Revolba is, you need the humility to be filled with awe. You need to have the capacity to sit back and say, wow, the constellations of the universe, or biology, chemistry, physics, or the beautiful sunset, or the Grand Canyon, or the, the, what others might have thought was chance, but look at the amazing seeming coincidence that God orchestrated. You need to be, have the capacity to be filled with a sense of awe, and in that space of awe, now you can have amuna that, wow, God's in my life. But if you have no capacity for awe, if you are so arrogant that nothing impresses you, eh, oh, God miraculously healed that person. Oh, it totally worked out for them when it wasn't supposed to. Oh, that sunset. Oh, that, eh, it's all eh. Then if it's all eh, then you have no room to have Yira of Hashem. If you have no awe of Hashem, you don't really have Amuna. The prerequisite of Amuna is the acknowledgement, the concession, he's categorically different than I am. I therefore have awe of him. And as we learned in Revolbi earlier, remember Revolbi talked about the importance of using imagination in Amuna? The importance of imagination in Amuna that you have to be able to picture, you have to be able to dream, you have to be able to have vision, you have to be able to imagine. Because Hashem is invisible, because He is intangible, because He is abstract, it requires invoking your sense of imagery and imagination. So, this is going to sound like heresy, but Hashem is your imaginary friend, only He's not imaginary. Now, there's to the degree that a child walks around with their imaginary friend, and to the child, that friend is real, as real as you are their mother or father. They talk about their friend is with them and don't forget to feed my friend. There's my friend coming to the party and what's going to be with my friend, right? To the child, that friend, the, the friend is absolutely invisible. And we know the friend doesn't even exist. They're purely imaginary. But to the child, that imaginary friend is as real as their mother or father. So to us, Akash Baruch Hu is our imaginary friend, only he's not imaginary. 
Can I just say a great story? Last sure. night at dinner, we're just sitting there, and it's me and my six-year-old. She's the one who's always talking about Hashem. <laughs> so she says, no offense, but I really love Hashem more than any of you. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. That's where her brain is, you know? No offense to anyone. No offense. None, none taken. <laughs> none taken. That's such a great analogy, because that's really a level that we should be able to get to, like, in our tefillah. Mm-hmm. My tefillah is terrible. I, I can't really connect with my tefillah for some reason. Not like I do in learning. And I always think of fiddler on the roof, standing up on the roof and talking to God, and right. really talking to Him. Right. And I, th- I think that's like the imaginary friend analogy. Is such that's a exactly it. Because that is it. You know, we, I learned in Sha'ar and Betfila earlier this morning with our men's group at the shul that you know, he, he, we're concluding the book, and at the end of the book, Rav Pincus is talking about the fact that too many people think that davening is for the realm of shul and the sitter. The reason that we have the liturgy, the text, the sitter. And the obligation to daven is because if we didn't have it, days or weeks or months might go by where we wouldn't even talk to Hashem. So you need to have the obligation. But that's just to make sure that we're doing it. The real davening is outside the sitter. The real davening is while you're making dinner or driving carpool or going to work or walking into the business meeting or at the gym. or That's the real davening. Could you tell them the card analogy? That's such a good analogy. Oh, my card analogy? Because yeah. that really brings it... Sure. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That was one of those moments of, of like divine assistance, that card analogy. I don't know where I came up with that. But I said the following, you know, it's your, your wife's birthday, your anniversary, so you have to give a card. So on the one hand, if you go to the store and you buy a card and you hand her the blank card... So you have to case, give a card or you want saying, to give a card? <laughs> you heard have to? I said want to. I said, I said want to. I don't know why you heard have to. you got to get your hearing checked. So you go to the store and you buy the card that you want to give and you hand the blank card to your spouse, to your husband. So he'll say to you, thank you, I appreciate the effort, but there's nothing written in the card. Like, I appreciate the effort that you went and got the card, but there's nothing personal. There's nothing, this in no way endears you to me, me to you. There's nothing here. So on the other hand, you say, you know what? Why do I have to waste the money on the card? I take the back of a napkin, I take out my pen, and I write the most beautiful, so-and-so, happiest birthday, many more years, been the best years of my life, blah, 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 blah. You hand the napkin. So your spouse says, sentiments are beautiful. I really appreciate you take the time to write how you feel, but... You couldn't get a card. Like you didn't have the. T- you couldn't make the effort to get a card. So, I like to say that when you daven from the sitter, but you don't add anything personal, it's like handing a blank card. On the other hand, you can't just daven outside the sitter, and and write on the back of a napkin and never make the effort to go get the card. It's the combination of the two, which is really critical, and that's what our rabbis envisioned. They said, "Here's the formula. Here's the template. It's called the sitter. It's a template, but fill it in. Make it your own." You know, like if you open a Microsoft Word or Microsoft Publisher or, um, or, or um, PowerPoint, I don't know if you've ever had to make any of these presentations. When you open them and it says, you know, create a new document, there's templates that pop up and you choose the template you want. Now, you can't just print out the template and hand that to your boss. That's not the presentation. You've got to actually write the presentation. But what makes it look nice in the background that gets you started is the template. So the sitter is the template. But Kosh Baruch Hu wants you to make it personal. So talk in Baruch Aleinu about your hopes hope for the stock market that day. And Rafa'inu about the... Oh, we're supposed to learn Sarah, Maya, Bas, Maya, Ilanit. We're learning for her, Rafua Shalema, this morning. So in Rafa'inu, you have her in mind and all the people you know are sick. In Shmak you know, you daven that the country wises up and chooses the proper uh, president or candidate. 
And uh, of course, Israel is always on your mind. And Hashem wants us to, to scribble in between, you know, on the card. You've got to underline and double underline the right words. And you've got to write your personal message on the card. Because that's what, that's what makes it personal. So what Revolve is developing here, maybe we'll end here and we'll pick up, we'll do the other half next week. No, that's okay. I've got to go too. But what Revolve is saying is, Yira is the prerequisite to Amuna. If you lack awe of God... You think you have Amuna, but you don't have Amuna. You think he's your buddy, he's your friend, he's your equal, and he's not. He's that also. He should be your friend. He should be accessible. There should be some affection. But he's different. So the Yira sets God as different. Now you know he's different. Now you can have a sense of Amuna. Amuna is not in somebody who's in your image. Amuna is a God who's categorically different. So he's proving here, both from the Pasuk of why it first says, Vayiru ha'am, they're standing at Kriyaz Yamsuf and they go, wow, the sea split, that's unbelievable. Wow, the Egyptians pursuing us behind us and the sea in front of us and we're doomed and what was this all for and we're going to die. And all of a sudden, the wind blows and the sea splits and there's a clear path for them to walk. They say, wow, that's awesome. That's unbelievable. That's not chance. That's not coincidence. That's not happenstance. There is a God who created the world who just orchestrated this for us right now. Now I have Amuna. Now I know he loves me. Now he's in my life. Now I'm going to cling to him. Now I'm sticking with him. First you have to be filled. So you'll say, but how do you achieve that if God never splits the sea for you? You're still waiting for that breakthrough moment of awe. Maybe we can talk about that next week. But Yira vayiruash amis Hashem and only then vayamina b'ashem. That's why for the Rambam, Yira is a chilak of Emuna. All right, happy Shushan Purim Katan. We will pick this up next week.